0: There's been a lot of times where I'm laying on the bathroom floor looking for a vein and just crying mm-hmm. after I've just, you know, like stabbed myself. Just, so so it's easy to forget that. Um, but just like you, I lived in that for a solid decade. Yeah.
1: This is the I Am Redemption podcast and today I would like to uh, introduce a very special guest. He's one of my best friends in the world, Lance Risher. Um, Lance and I uh, got tight right at, we met right before quarantine or right as quarantine was mm-hmm. happening. Yep. And you know, neither, I think we would both say neither he nor I are the type of people just to reach out to some perfect stranger that we have no idea who is. Um, I think Lance had saw something about me on social media or online and and took the leap and reached out. And so uh, it was quarantine. Everybody was scared to come out of the house. And so he and I ended up meeting. We sat down and we thought it was going to be a quick little 15, 20-minute conversation. I think three hours passed, and at the end, we were both like, let's go. What are we doing? And so we've been riding tight ever since. Um, so I'd like to introduce my boy Lance. Lance, you want to introduce yourself? Tell him a little bit about you.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Um... Yeah, man, I'm really happy to be here. Sorry, it, sorry it took so long, but Some we're good. here. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, like you're saying, it, it. You know, now that that's not my character at all. Like I'm the biggest like, oh my my business, you mind yours type person when it comes to, like meeting new people.
1: Right.
0: Um, so yeah, it was really, uh, I guess, serendipitous that sitting around bored and, and just a friend of a friend is like, oh, have you seen this dude? Um, like, no, I haven't, but now I want to meet him. Um and, and so yeah, I think I, I slid in the DMs and <laughs> and we, we met at Town Lake and, and yeah, um not what I was expecting, but you know, through all that, like we're sitting here.
1: Yeah. Um I was just so. happy that somebody else was brave enough to reach out and uh when everybody's sitting at home scared and I was like, I don't we're gonna be outside, we're good. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um and I'm glad A you were part of that. I figured you might be just based on like the pretense. But yeah, we uh we found each other at a
1: good time. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So So not too many people dude, stories within the recovery community or just life in general, raise my raise my eyebrow, you know what I mean? I think both of us we've heard it all before, but I remember meeting you and some of the stories I started hearing and I just remember being like, Yeah, there's no way and then I would come to find out, yeah, there was a there was a definite way. you've had a wild journey, dude, and it's been a, it's been a blessing on my end to be part of that journey somewhat here towards your your latter years with it and everything like that. but do you guys do you want to give, uh, give everyone some context to where it all started?
0: Um, yeah, so so I'll just start from the beginning. So I'm from Mississippi, uh, for better or worse. Um, you know, it's the typical like... I guess, typical to you and me, like, sad story, like, oh, family wasn't, you know, together, like, grew up poor. Um, So, yes, all that's a part of it. Um, I I think, so I usually tell people, like, there's, uh, you know, like, are you born an addict or do you become an addict, like, that kind of thing. In hindsight, I I was an addict as far as behaviors, like, way, way before I ever, you know, took a drink or like put a needle in my arm. Um, You know, just as a kid, I was in, out of the hospital, I was the kid that's like setting stuff on fire or like, you know, jumping off the roof. And there, still to this day, there's just this innate thing where like, uh, of course, like I'm aware that the stove is hot and you're telling me, um, (laughs) but I'm still gonna touch it, Um, you know. Not not necessarily find out, but just like you know that that yeah, it touches that thing in me, you know. Um, so, in hindsight, it was natural. Like you know, there is the nature versus nurture. Like some tough situations, just life shit um, that further steered me probably down a darker path once it got started. But yeah, man. I mean, as far as as that part of stuff, I, I mean, I started early uh, dad, much like yours, like mom and dad split up when I was probably two, uh, you know, some different step dads, step moms in the mix. Um, and, and my dad, he till this day, like, you know, he drinks, he's an alcoholic. Um, you know, so as far as drinking, I probably drank my first beer when I was like five years old, you know, just as I'm like, Oh, that's, it's funny that the little kid's drunk. Right. Um, but you know, learning what I've learned and like same same you've learned, uh that that's not healthy. It's not normal. Um, but it it was that's how it happened for me. Um, you know, I ha I had a period of like single digit childhood age where like I wouldn't say shit was like stable, but it, it was good, you know, for we'll say like five to 10 maybe, um, things were seemingly normal. But then of course, like between different like family stuff and, you know, the nature I just told you, I kind of like have in me, um, I, I always wanted to push the boundary, um, which naturally when when you're coming up in like some sketchy friend zones and like stuff like that, drugs, alcohol, that's the natural progression, um, unfortunately. Uh, but you know that's just the real of it um so yeah, I mean twelve thirteen was when I was like becoming like a a drinker um i probably i I probably experienced like my first alcoholic withdrawals at like fifteen um you know, where I'm like drinking going to school, of course, there's like smoking pot, all that stuff, but like you know i the stupidest way it could have happened. Um, not that this determined my fate, but probably steered me in a particular direction was I was moving flower pots in my, my mom's backyard and you know, just there's 10 or 12 of them. They're huge. Um, so unlike the fourth or fifth one, I just kind of pick it up back snaps. It's, you know, herniated disc. Um, and so I get put on, this is prime, opiate epidemic, like it's happening, but no one knows it's happening. So it's a a free for all. I got put on 180, 30 milligram Oxycontin as a 15 year old. Um, so shame on the doctors, but like at the same time, like I had, or should have had like some, you know, guidance that that's not the move, but, uh, I would argue that I had, kind of like an affirmation that that was the move. Yeah, the
1: the doctor gave me, "It's okay.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, And and then you throw in like the, you know, the family dynamic that I was living under. Um, It it wasn't, I I always put it in context for myself and for other people when I'm like talking about it. I use my nephew as an example. He's in that like 15, 16, uh, you know, kind of age. And he's like the most sweet, innocent makes good grades like does what he's supposed to um and i think about like like the fucked off things i was doing Mm -hmm.
1: um at 15
0: yeah well at 15 and then like a professional um giving him like a handful of oxycontin like this will make your life better right you know it's Knowing what we know today, like in general, like the general public, like that's,
1: of course that's not, right. you know. Um, let, me, let me ask you real quick, if we could. So what you said about, you know, I don't know if you feel the same way. I feel our stories align in so many areas. The, for me, you know, I grew up and, and I looked at my dad like he was Superman. He was, he was in good shape, he worked hard, <laughs> um, but he mm-hmm. doesn't have the, same, gene, the ad, same addict gene that I do. You know, I mean, he does, but I grew up idolizing him and I watched him party hard, you know right. what I mean? And so it only glorified that to me. And then like, like you're saying how your your drug stuff escalated so quickly. You know, I, th- I think you and I are in the same when, like there was, as soon as I would do this drug that was made out to, you know, weed or, or alcohol that was made out to be so bad to me and I did it and I was just like, that's it? All right, what's next? And it just like shot me up the ladder and then, you know, I got in a car accident and they put me on Oxycontin just like you and I'm 16 years old and stuff like that. And so I feel like how could you not take all those those aspects of either of our stories and throw them in there and like how could it not end up where it did? You know Yeah, I mean?
0: we didn't have a chance on yeah. paper. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, it, it's a weird thing. So like uh, does does someone with like a perfectly healthy family structure that was different from ours like kids got a a lawyer and a doctor for mom and dad like does it play out the same if you feed that kid the same oxycontin well a like no because it would stand to reason like if the the family is healthy that's never going to be an option on the family side of things um so yes like you know whatever the, the things that were going on with big pharma or whatever at that particular like era, this would have been like early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Like I said, shame on them. Um, uh, but there's so many fail safes between how, how's it, how's a 15 year old without a car get to the doctor? Yeah. Um, how's he getting to the pharmacy? Um, so, so yeah, it's, uh, we didn't stand a chance, but at the same time, like, uh, there was no part of me that was that had any
1: right. Me neither. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um,
1: right. Right. When you just said, "How how are you getting to the pharmacy?" or the "Doctor?" I was like, well, there's a well. There's a yeah, way. Yeah. Walking. If right. I need to.
0: Right. Um, you know. So yeah, it, it's tough. Like uh, I, everything that I went through, and, and you, we've talked about this a million times. Like you got to go through those things to be who you are. Like I love uh, like who I am as far as like understanding a bunch of just like the shitty parts of life. Like, uh, you know, ignorance is bliss, but I think we're like especially qualified for what we do. Um, Mm -hmm. But just as like having a realistic look at the world, you gotta go through some shit. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I don't, at no point was like any of the stuff that happened enjoyable, but it's like, that's my arsenal of, of knowledge, lived experience, like hard times, um, you know, hard times make tough people, that whole deal. Um, so I, I can say that being on the other side of it. Um, mm-hmm. but there's been a lot of times where I'm laying on the bathroom floor looking for a vein and just crying mm-hmm. after I've just, you know, like stabbed myself just so so it's easy to forget that. Um, but, just like you I lived in that for a solid decade. Yeah. Um and you know, can't have one without the other. Right. Uh so uh yeah, to to answer your question like we we were set up, you know, to a degree uh to to go exactly where we went. Um but you know, at present day like that's that's the biggest blessing that we right. did do that. Um
1: Dude, I, I just heard Mike I, Mike Tyson say this quote, and it's, without the test, there is no testimony. Yeah. And, like, I don't hear many quotes that jump out to me, but that one is like, man, that couldn't be truer. Yeah. How are you going to give a testimony if you haven't been through some shit?
0: Well, and, you know, we, we talk about it. Um, you know, I think, you know, just to give some insight into one of our private conversations, it's not crazy, but um, you were asking me, I think it was about, like, you know, working with interventionists and stuff. And, you know, of course, as a good person that wants to help people, when it came to, like, how do I, like, charge for these services or whatever, I'm like, well, you don't go to the doctor and, like, you know, they give you that bill. You're like, oh, this, I got to pay this. Like, this, you know, well-educated, like, person has done this for me. I'm like, bro, we, you earn your... Your pay or your compensation for that same scenario of laying in the bathroom, right. and, and that's our that's our credentialing. Yeah, that's um, our education. I I would do med school a hundred times over to skip out on any six month period of some of the torture that like you know we've we've endured. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's that's our schooling. Um fortunately or unfortunately, that's just how it played out for us. But like, I'm hundred percent proud of that. Right. Um, and I just
1: don't want it to get twisted and nothing here I are saying, are we saying poor us or poor me? Yeah.
0: I, I yeah. I don't like that connotation right. at all. Um, I, but I, I do think, um, I do think you have to know like that part of it to realize like what we're doing sitting here in a mm-hmm. fancy studio, like talking about this stuff um, you know, it, it, only makes sense like the, the comeback of it, if you know, like where it came from.
1: Right.
0: Um, but yet no, in fact, I would say like that was one of the, the biggest things that helped me get well, uh, was dropping the, the poor me shit. Um, you know, like someone's always got it worse not to like dull down how bad my shit is. Um, but you know. Yeah, you know, we at some point you got you can't live in that. Right. Um I never got better by telling someone how how I'd been wronged or like look at these odds that were stacked against me and they're like perfect that's what's going to get you better just live in that place of pity and sorrow for yourself. Right. Like that's that was in fact the the opposite was true. Um like you got to get rid of that shit. Like yeah that happened, but what are you going to do now? Um So yeah, Definitely not a a poor me. Right.
1: Um, so, dude, you've told me a hundred different crazy stories. There's a there's a couple. Just to, to help better paint the picture for for anybody listening, um, I don't know which one came first. Do you know the two stories I'm talking about? Yeah. All yeah. Right. Um, if, if you could, <laughs> if you wouldn't mind elaborating on those a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think, um, you know, when you and I are are telling them, you know, it's funny to us because we're you know it's just like a war story it, it's you know just we're talking shit about how crazy that was um but i think for people that aren't familiar with like the severity of of addiction and like how much it it has a hold on you um you know the those same stories that we laugh at uh could give some real insight to people like when the mom that can't understand why her son just like can't get sober, or uh, you've been locked up 10 times. Like, why do you keep doing the things that are getting you locked up? Or the mom that, you know, can't get her kids back from CPS because of it. Um, You know, this might give some framework for exactly the nature of the beast that we're dealing with, that they're dealing with. Um, So so one of them. (laughs) So, just to provide context for this one, um, when I went to college uh, up at Ole Miss, my mom, she got remarried like my senior year or something uh, for a second time, and she moved to Houston briefly. Then his job took them overseas to a combination of Australia and Singapore. Um, but in, in total, they were out of the States for about 10 years, so I was just kind of out here doing what I do. Um and so she, she would do these periodic, like, come back for Christmas and maybe stay for like a month um, just because it's such a long flight. It, you know, it's, uh, she would want to spend some time. Uh, so she did the, you know, the typical mom stuff, like, does your car need an oil change? Like, have you been to the dentist lately? Um, that kind of stuff. So we'd go down our checklist, um, which, an offshoot of that is she did send me to the dentist and I need my wisdom teeth out. And I told the doctor I was, or I told my mom I was on Suboxone which she relayed to the dentist and I wasn't. Um, and I, I was basically just shooting dope, whatever. Um, but because of the pretense of that was my story for her to like, think I was like doing something about my drug addiction. Um, I I got my four wisdom teeth cut out while awake with no pain medication because he said the pain medication wouldn't work because of the Suboxone. Um, So yeah, I just sat in a chair like this and just got my teeth cut out. But I knew I was getting Percocet after anyway, so it's like, whatever. Um, That wasn't even the story I was getting to. (laughs) Um, That was a good build-up to it, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, So to go along with that, um, you know how it is. Like, you wake up in the morning, um, you're either feeling sick or waiting to to start feeling sick. Mm-hmm. So my first waking thought is like, all right, let me throw the text out, let me make some calls, like how am I getting money today? Um, so that's how every day starts. Uh, so.
1: Just, just to give some brief context, when you're on opiates, you can only go so long without them, so right, once you've right. gone to bed and slept six, eight hours or whatever, Usually, by the time you're waking up, you're already deathly ill, and the first thing you need to do is get right. Right, and, and beyond that, you just at a, a very core level
0: want to get high. Too. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, For sure. Um, so, uh, so there's a routine that you know you build around that, like you know which gas station you're meeting homeboy at, like you know you know the the playbook for the day so in these periods where my mom would come back from overseas like that would totally disrupt Mm -hmm. that that flow um so was like maybe when she says she's going to see her friend i can sneak over get this and like get enough to like i don't have to because it's very apparent to a normal person like why are you going to the gas station 12 times in a four-hour period right um and and so because of that what kind of what you just alluded to is like inevitably like that that's disrupted uh the schedule of it i start getting sick um i don't want to out myself as like what's really going on it which is me shooting heroin um so there's like a survival mechanism built in if i can if i can keep people from knowing this about me i can take care of it and, and nobody will be any the wiser. Mm-hmm. I'll just magically have the strength to not shoot heroin. Um, nobody will ever know what was going on and, and we're all good. Um, so as a part of keeping up that, that kind of ruse, uh, you know, I, I would always feign these like stomach pains, which I was having stomach pains, but I was attributing that to some phantom GI thing I was suffering from. Um, so of course, mom being mom, like, well, we got to get that checked out, you know? Um, so I go through all the motions. I get the colonoscopy, endoscopies, uh, barium enema. They're doing all these tests and they're like, we can't find anything. Me knowing like, well, yeah, there's nothing wrong. I'm just dope sick. Right. Um,
1: but you're, so, you're keeping the log Oh going. no, I'm
0: committed, right. uh, fully committed. So I take it to such a place that they're like, apparently when they can't find stuff like that, a a common thing is that your gallbladder, um, you don't necessarily need your gallbladder. So I'm like, so like we, you know, we think like taking out your gallbladder is probably the move since we, these seven tests, we can't find anything. And I'm like, yeah, I think that's probably what it is. You know, I'm not a doctor, but that I trust you. Um, and so, yeah, I just went through, I, you know, had a surgery. Um, (laughs) and got my gallbladder removed all to to not because me admitting at that time me admitting to what the real reason was uh steps come after that where like i get sober you know at this point like i don't have much to hang on to except getting high um so yeah in my mind if i keep the ruse going i get to keep getting high And that keeps me in my delusion of, like, I'm going to take care of this at some point. Um, But, yeah, I, you know, had an organ removed on behalf of not giving up on that. And, uh, you know, they will you out when you've had anesthesia or whatever. And so I had driven myself to the hospital. um, And, you know, they will you out, sit you on the curb while your ride pulls up. I just told them that someone was pulling the car around. And as soon as I went back in, I just walked to my car and just drove like still spun out on like the anesthesia and stuff um because i had a 30 count script of percocet burning a hole in my pocket that they had sent me out with i i went directly to cvs a couple miles away and they filled them right there on the spot they'd been like called in um and i just i just ate the whole bottle of you know on the right. spot because that's that's not holding a candle to my normal intake, yeah. um, and, and yet all for the purpose of like that was that was my cookie was like because I was so good at at keeping up this scam like I get this treat of right. a free bottle of Percocet, um, and yeah I I acquired like seventy thousand dollars worth of medical bills doing that uh, just for the sake of like well still get to get high you know
1: that's commitment right there. You told me that story originally, and that was wild. Like I'm all for going in and feeding a line of shit to the doctor to yeah. get what I need and everything. Yeah. But if they're gonna talk about cutting out my gallbladder, I'm like, ah, eh, I'm good. Yeah. yeah,
0: I've got seven <laughs> incision marks across my my abdomen because of it. So.
1: And I think you know, there's probably some people listening or watching this right now that are wondering how you or I could laugh at it. But, <clears throat> and I remember the first time my. My lovely wife hung around you and I, and you and I were going back and forth on some of our yeah, yeah. our yeah. stories, and she was kind of mortified because she doesn't come from the recovery community or the, the real world. Right. And she's—I she, remember you left and she asked me, "She's like, well, how can you laugh about like such of these these tragic things that have happened to you in, in your life and all this pain?" And I was like, "How else are you going to deal with it?" Like,
0: yeah, it's like just the inverse for me. It's like, how can you not? Right. You know. Um,
1: and I think it comes from knowing where you know, both you and I are in such different places today to look back, and it's almost like laughing, it's like, That's, that wasn't me.
0: Oh, I fully feel like I just told you that story about somebody else. <laughs> sure, I mean, other than, like, my stomach right, right. being the one with cuts on it, like, it, it doesn't even make sense to me. Um, and and it's, a, it's a dual thing, because when I'm, like, telling stuff like that, on one hand, I feel like that stuff was happening six months ago, and like I was in it, mm-hmm. um, and on the other hand, it seems like I'm just like telling somebody else's story, right. which you know, I think that's the healthy balance like I need to know that's real for me mm-hmm. because like if not, like I'll be high tomorrow, right um, as soon as I think like I've got it completely under control mm-hmm. that's when like the the ego kicks in, and it's like, well, like, you know, yeah, I was an alcoholic at one point, but I never really drank when I was shooting heroin, so I could probably like drink right um. You know i'm older and wiser um but yeah that that shit's not real that's no. that's just the same thing that kept us high for a decade uh it's like hey man still here um yeah. if you ever want to come say what's up you know um but yeah it you you have to know it's still real for you um but you also like have to put some distance between like that's that's some stuff I did and some stuff that happened to me, but that's not like who I am yeah. at a core level right, that that's sure. the worst version of me with like a lot of you know shit that wasn't dealt with um combined with like arguably the most powerful substance on the world like and uh, you know of course I'm gonna do some shit like that yeah. um with that
1: combination now the the other story, the infamous, oh, the infamous man. picture. I hope yeah. there's a way. I was
0: gonna say, I wonder if we could like super. I'll send you the picture I, gonna, in case wanna, y'all can throw yeah, it up right yeah, here. Wanna,
1: hopefully, we can show y'all this picture because it is it, um, is, it is a legendary picture.
0: Yeah. So, so more of the same. Um, so this this was pretty close before I went to treatment. Uh, it was it was my second to last overdose um, before I got sober. And so the circumstances were kind of like, uh, mom and stepdad had just come back from being overseas for 10 years. They were back in their house in Houston. And this is such a fast forward from, you know, me being 15 or whatever. But, um, so basically I had spent years of couch surfing and bouncing around. Like I kicked out of school, but like stayed another year there and was sleeping on my buddy's couch, um, Orlando, Memphis, uh, Houston, back to Mississippi, spend some time in Australia with them. Um, but so this, this all is after that, they come back after that 10 year stretch. And, uh, my stepdad, he, you know, starts like feeling like I've got a kidney stone or a gallstone. Um, so he goes to the doctor. It turns out to be bile duct cancer, uh, which is pretty rare. But it's very aggressive. Um, I guess maybe the bile ducts function is like filter stuff, bad stuff out of your body. But if that's cancerous, I think it kind of filtered the cancer to everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, so like all of his organs got taken out. It was a very quick process. He got they got back from from Singapore, moved in. He got he went to the hospital like three weeks after they moved back. Four weeks after they told him what it what it was, he died. Um, So it was very quick, uh, you know, and he he never got to see me be sober. And I was also very like, I was in Mississippi at the time and um, just didn't have the capacity to be there Mm -hmm. for my sister, my mom, whatever. Um, That just wasn't on my radar. Um, But I came out to Houston, I was gonna be there for my mom. which amount of it started with like i got there after he died um i shot heroin in the funeral home at his uh ceremony uh he he got cremated so like i'm in the bathroom fucking shooting dope uh that's even that type of moment couldn't stop me mm-hmm. from getting high um at, at that time that's what helped me be the best current version of myself right. in that world i was living in um and then I got hip to the fact that he, uh, like a absolute gangster, uh, he was on, he was on hospice and refused all pain meds or anything that was gonna cloud his vision. Cause he knew like, I'm out of here in like a week. Um, so he's like, I want to be present for every moment I have left. And once again, like, you know, that thing inside me is like, well, looks like they left this morphine that they were going to give him here. Mm. Um, so like bed still warm from, you know, coroner coming and take him out, and I'm like rummaging through the, the vials of morphine that right. he was so much of a man he refused to take. Um, so so I stayed there for like six months, um, and you know I eventually went to treatment from there because of what would happen. But overdose once. Um, up in the bathroom, then like my overdoses kept getting closer and closer. And I I was probably like five years deep in like speed balls, which for, you know, everybody out there that's mixing cocaine and heroin. Um, and and it was leading to me having a lot of seizures, which is another ruse I played up. I, I got diagnosed as epileptic when it was just cocaine induced seizures to the point where I was doing sleep studies and like had electrodes on my head that I was like keeping on for a week. Uh, and of course, like if you're shooting heroin and coke all day, you're, you have the most chaotic brain waves throughout the course of the day. And they're like, you are the most epileptic person we've ever seen. This is insane. I'm um, like, yeah, I definitely am. And I was taking seizure meds, but it was just me shooting coke and falling out. Um, but still, it's like, well, this, this preserves my ability to keep getting high. So, um, within that, I, uh. I was in a place of when I'm like getting a shot of whatever together um, of just kind of eyeballing it. Like, man, this seems like too much, but like if it is and like this is what takes me out, like it's not the worst thing that could happen. Like I'm living in the worst thing that could happen. Right. Um, So I was pretty committed to like, you know, not like suicidal, but like very okay with dying. And so I even had a ritual, like as soon as I get the plunger down, I would kind of uh, get rid of the evidence. My parting gift was going to be that like, when or if I die from this, at least I've saved my mom or whoever that finds me, like the mental image of the needle still being in my arm. Um, That was what I was, that was the best thing I was capable of leaving to the world Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, So, On one of these given instances, I had a bunch of cocaine, um, and I I was already, like, in a psychosis. But sitting down on the bathroom floor up against the door after I had locked and unlocked it 10 times because I'm just tweaked out. uh, And so I've got this thing in my arm, and I'm pushing it. You know, I get about halfway down, and my brain's like, oh, I fucked up. Like, yeah. and by the time that thought occurs, I've pushed it the rest of the way down. And so I just uh, it, it, tunnel vision, like I'm looking through a toilet paper roll basically. And it it was different from like other experiences I had had. So I'm like, all right, maybe if I stand up, that'll, that'll help uh, like circulate things. And I tried to stand up, legs couldn't get underneath me. Um, you know, I fell into the shower, uh, you know, just banging around and it was the most like, uh, just a complete loss of motor control. Um, I couldn't get my hands or arms to do anything. And I was laying face down and I've, I've made such a commotion at this point that, you know, my, my mom can hear me downstairs banging around, things are falling and I'd locked the door. So they're trying to beat in the door And I had turned myself around it's probably like a six seven foot distance from like the tub to the door and I'm just laying there just like brain is hyperactive like I can completely digest what's happening but I can't do anything about it um and so I'm basically using my big toes and uh like my chin to kind of inchworm like I'm pulling myself towards the door and like they're screaming like unlock the door unlock the door and i just this is
1: like some fair and loving las vegas shit right now
0: yeah well that's what it was kind of it kind of felt like at a certain point i was i was like watching this happen um this was like something i was watching even though it was me i was just trapped inside of myself um and so you know basically fast forward they bust the door down they get me out um, and I was in full blown tachycardia, which is like a super elevated heart rate, but it was like super extreme. And so my heart rate got up to like 270. Um, my blood pressure when they took it, which is 20 minutes after this all happened and the paramedics got there, it was at like 250 over 190, which a couple of things are gonna happen. Your heart's gonna explode. You're gonna have an aneurysm. It's like, which one's gonna happen first kind of thing. Um, so because of my blood pressure, my heart rate, I had started bleeding out of my eyeballs. Um, and you've seen the picture. I'm literally, it's exactly what you think. Like there's just tears of blood coming out of my eye sockets because uh, it just can't go anywhere. Um, so they go in my neck, give me what I can presume is like a tranquilizer of some sort to just plummet my my heart rate. Um, and And this is, so that's wild enough, but this is the follow-up tool we were talking about earlier. Like, I will do anything to get high. I-, I will steal from you. I will steal from everyone you love. Like, I'll I'll do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'm in the emergency room and still keeping up the ruse of like, oh, crazy seizure back there, huh? You know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like it, like I'm the only one who believes my shit at this point. Right. Um, But, you know, they come in, they want to give me like a a urine test and stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, I'll get that to you. My wheels are always turning on how to preserve this. And so I I take it in the bathroom, I stomp violently on that that pee cup, and I get all the shards together. I pull the bag out of the little small trash can, I put it under it, and put the bag back in. I I come back, and the nurse, of course, comes back, oh, did you get that urine sample for me? I'm like, oh yeah, I gave it to the, the other nurse. And she was like, what other nurse? I was like, the one that that came by and got it. What do you mean? Um, And it, like, got an attitude, like, I'm not peeing again, you know. Um, So they didn't have any documentation of what was in my system, uh, you know, and I I got out. Um, My mom was there with me the whole time. Um, So this is where the sickness of it is uh, because I got to such a place where it would take me 30 or 45 minutes to, like, find – Somewhere I could like get a you know a right. vein, um, and so I had I had done that whole process prior to like shooting the coke that got me to the hospital, and so like I said they had to go in my my neck here um, to to like give me the the whatever to bring my heart rate down. Um, so I remember walking out of the ER and I was I was genuinely excited that they had left that there because I'm like, oh man, when I get back to the house. Now they
1: gave me a roadmap.
0: Yeah, they, they've they already X marked the, the spot for me. Like if they could find it with a butterfly, like I'm good. Yeah. Um, and I just proceeded to get just as high as I just did. Um, nothing about that pumped the brakes for me. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, after that, like, I overdosed one more time about a month later and that's when I finally asked for help. Just as clear as it was, coming out of the hospital the time before that I was not gonna do anything other than get high again. It was just that clear that like, man, you're dying. Um, And like, you gotta do something different. And I I asked for help as soon as like, I woke up in the hospital from that last time. Um, But yeah, I, 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 we've got a million of those. I I don't wanna like completely, uh, you know, it, it won't translate for some people watching, but like, once again, for those people, that's more to explain, like the the what you're up against. Yeah. As a family member, if you're just like, why can't I just like tell you to get better? Like right. that's what you're up against. Yeah,
1: um, yeah dude, that, that definitely paints a picture. And you know, there's, you know, I've never been on the other side of it. I mean, obviously, we work with people. Right. Um, I've only been the <clears> addict, <throat> but uh, but there's, I mean, there's a reason they, you know, I hate quoting the big book, but no human power could relieve our Relieve our sickness, dude. There's nothing. My mom, my sister. You know, nobody. It's gotta. Be, it's gotta come from me. And everybody else. Everybody has their rock bottom moment where they feel it's like, right, I can't do this anymore, or I am gonna die, or whatever like that. I, I wanted you to tell those stories, just to be able to paint that picture. But I didn't want to. Is there anything else about your journey that I, I didn't want to skip over in the timeline? Is there anything? The you feel like some stu- substance that you wanted to talk about?
0: I mean, man, it's, I, I think it's just uh, any anything that happened between, you know, that first beer at five, seven, eight years old, whatever it is, to that last overdose, It it's all just part of the same storyline of like that thing that we got in us um, that, uh, you know, I hate to say this, but like, you know, people that see like addiction and stuff, they're like, drugs are the worst part of your life. There was a lot of times where, I mean, that's why I did drugs. They worked every time, Mm -hmm. Um, you know? So like when you're-
1: They were there for me when everybody else wasn't. Yeah,
0: um, you know, when it was like, uh, you know, somebody's walked out of my life in like a parental capacity and I'm like a teenager and don't know which way's up. that's already a weird period. You know, you're trying to figure out like, which pocket of human am I gonna lean into trying to be? Um, you know, and I mean, like being poor, like that adds another dynamic. Uh, certain things that are uh, at the forefront of like your daily maneuvering, um, you know, other people might not realize is like a, something that even exists as a struggle. right? Um, so it's a whole, it's a whole like set of things, um, that made the drug use like increase over time. Um, but I mean, that, that's what I had at my disposal yeah. for a lot of those years, as far as like, how can I feel better? How can I be okay with like what's going on in my day to day? Um, it was like feeling different. Like I want to change the way I feel, um, so yeah, they I mean they worked. Yeah. They worked so well that I was willing to have them kill me. Right. Uh, just because I knew they would work. Right. Um which you don't really know when that that tipping point is, mm-hmm. when it goes from being fun and they work to this is like a, a situation. Yeah. Um But yeah, there I mean there's like anybody else. There's a ton of different branches to the tree that is my less than orthodox childhood. Right. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about any of it. Um,
1: so, you know, we, we've heard, we've, I don't wanna say we've heard some of the bad, but we've heard some of the struggles and everything like that. We heard, you know, you, you talked about your rock bottom moment of finally reaching out and needing <clears throat> help and everything. So to, to put it on a, now take it towards a positive direction. What, did, what would you say, or do you have one that was like your moment of redemption? Your redemption moment where you looked around and you're like, oh, I'm fucking back. I made it. I'm here.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a weird one Uh, for me because I think a lot of people have this, uh, like, uh, saying or school of thought, like, I got to get sober and get to treatment so I can get my life back. I I didn't have anything to get back you know, um, and whatever I might have had that existed from that prior life, like I didn't want back. um, Some very minimal, I guess you could say, good stuff, but like nothing worth like chasing and going back to. So, I mean, I think, I don't know if there was a moment where it was like, you know, like, fuck yeah, I'm here. Like I did it. I beat this thing. So, I mean, in retrospect, if I was having like me currently try to pick out what that moment was, it, it would probably just be like laying in that hospital after the last overdose and like no one having to convince me or, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, at this point, like the, the paramedics or whatever, they had handled my last few overdoses. So the sheriff's office in there, they're doing like this body diagram and like lifting my arms and my feet, like documenting all the the track marks and stuff and i'm looking at that mom's here crying once again you know fresh off some narcan like i'm just looking at this like bro what are you doing um you know and for whatever reason i was just like bro we doing this or what like yeah. you ready to get sober are you, are you committed to like just dying because it's coming right um so so in hindsight, I mean, I guess that would be, like, my moment because um, that took more balls and, like, more just, like, everything in my life was built around the, the lies, the scams, the whatever got me to that point. Um, I had to commit in that moment to just, like, shatter and all that. We're starting fresh. Um, and, and that's that was a bigger, like, I don't know, more respectable or difficult or however you want to categorize it like moment in my life than anything i've done since right. um there's cool stuff like we've run our races like that's those are huge accomplishments like i never did any of that before um you know like being good to people holding down like a, a good job which i also get to like help people every day those are great but like none of that happens without yeah without that moment so i guess That's that's good.
1: That's good. You know, most most people, myself included, would would give some accolade that I've had in in sobriety. You know what I mean? But to go and take it back to the root of where it all started, that's I like that a lot. And I I think I redeemed my former self with that. And you know, you brought up the races. I would uh, man, it's it's rare in life you come across somebody who's of such the the same mindset as as you and i and i think that's why we you know what i mean that's why we got tight quick but you know i i, I met you and you had just i thought for sure you you would run a half iron you did a half iron man basically with a broken back after a very right. tragic car accident right uh 18 wheeler hit you and you still went out and did it <clears throat> and i remember you telling me that story when i first met you and i was like oh this is my kind of dude right here like by any means necessary we're gonna get this shit done. And then i can just remember calling you and there was never a time ever where you you back down from anything like i don't even know that you were running much at that time and i'm like hey man i'm gonna go run a 50k this weekend you want to go you're like yep i'm in and then you know we we ran our races and we went to our runs and we would meet before work and go run hills and the you know the the midsummer heat of of texas yep. and all that and just yep. you never blinked an eye and then uh you know we we got into the gym And, dude, there's not many human beings on this earth where, you know, we met every day for multiple years. 4 a.m. We'd work out. Sometimes we'd have to, we'd have a drive for work. So it's like, oh, fuck it. Let's meet, let's meet at 3. And, like, to your eye, like, we didn't blink an eye. We never bitch complain or anything like that. I was more excited for those workouts in that time than, than anything. Like, and it it just felt so good to find somebody. Same. I mean. Like-minded, like-mindedness.
0: Yeah, I mean. Like I, I think our whole thing started off, you know, with with that meeting. Um, and yes, yeah, same, same give and take from my side of things. I'm like, oh, this dude like does cool, hard shit. Um, Andy used to get down like I did, um, perfect. Like I didn't think there was many of us out there. Um, so the, you know, like always being willing to uh, jump into something like that, like, hey, you want to go do a fifty k? Of course. Are you in running shape? No, absolutely not. Um, but like, I'm I'm confident that like this is in shape. Yeah. You know. Um, so there it's oh, with the
1: with the, with the shit you've been before that. Yeah, like this a is 50K fun. In a week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like uh, pain, I'm familiar with. I've always had like a threshold for it. Um, so yeah, I. There's, of course, like, the the ego part of, like, I want to do a challenging thing and do it well and, like, um, want Sean to see, like, I'm about it. But I came out of, uh, like, came out of treatment and worked through treatment with this thing where, like, my best friend I grew up with, he had died from an overdose a couple weeks before I ended up going to treatment. Um, and so I came in with, like, this reoccurring thing of, like, uh, who am I to not show up to that group or who am I to not like go to this meeting with a kid at the sober house who doesn't have a car. Um, and I do. So it's kind of like, um, I don't, I, you know, it's like guilt and guilt tripping myself, but using it for a positive, mm-hmm. maybe there's some psychological stuff going on there, but it's like, you know, who can't run a 50 K is your boy, Matt. Like, you know, and yeah. everybody else who's, like, didn't get as fortunate um, as we did in living long enough to get to treatment, um, it actually working, uh, you know, so there there is a little bit of, like, chip on my shoulder of, like, I'm doing this for the ones that can't kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, and I use that to, like, 4 a.m. workout, like, let's go. Yeah. Um, you know, and of course, that's like the starting point. But yeah, I mean, it evolved into like that's our medicine
1: for the day. Yeah, um, yeah. Dude, I, we have the same philosophy. I think we look at it very similar and same philosophy. My my boy Corey, who who passed away, who they talk about in the yeah. in the documentary and stuff like that. Like, you know, if 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 I was honest and and had to say that there's you know higher power, if there's a heaven, if there's all that or whatever, like my chip on my shoulder was like, I I feel like I failed him. So everything I do now is to show, you know, to show him that it wasn't for nothing or that he could be proud of me or whatever like that. And so it's the same thing you're saying is like, he can't, so I can, so I'm gonna. Um, Yeah, same same exact shit.
0: And I've got kind of a little metric uh, which there's no way to count it. But so I believe that my buddy Matt dying Uh, Two weeks before my last overdose, that played a component when assessing myself in that hospital bed. And, like you know, of course, like, your boy just died. You're back here again. So in a lot of ways, I say that, like, his death helped get me to treatment. Um, So now I also look at it like he wasn't just a dude that died from the same thing a bunch of other people have and are and will in the future die from. Um, But he got me to treatment. So it's like every person that I help, you know, stay sober, get to treatment, come back from a relapse. Like that's something he's done. Um, I'm doing it like, yeah, as like the guy that's doing it. Mm-hmm. But I don't exist in that capacity right. without yeah. the pretense of like him being my guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've talked to his mom about it and stuff. Like just know like his his passing is not in vain. Um, I will make sure of it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's another, like, I think a healthy chip on my shoulder, you know, um, you know,
1: what, so through all your, your whole crazy journey, everything that's brought you here today, can you look back and what do you think the most valuable lesson that you've learned has been? Oh man. I'm sure that, I'm sure there's a ton, but if you had the first one that comes to mind,
0: I mean... Just like, uh, it, it sounds simple, but like just, just show up, mm-hmm. you know? Um, like guys that we used to work with, like I would always tell tell them that, like new in sobriety, um, showing up is probably 70, 80% of the shit. Yeah. Um, you know, if you can show up on time to that thing, whether that leads to somebody respecting you more because like your punctuality or you don't wanna go to that recovery meeting but you just show up um you might say or hear that one thing that either you or the next person need to hear in that very moment um yeah a, a lot of stuff takes care of itself if you just show up and and you know put your head down and, and do what needs to be done um i i that's a big question so i don't want right. to dull it down too much but i mean, it's no, good it's been that simple for me right um and, and you know i've never had any like Man, am I doing the right thing? Do I really want to be sober? That stuff has never entered my mind just by showing up, you know, just kind of blacking out and like, hey, this is the path I'm on clearly. Um, so with what I do present day, what I've done in the past since getting sober, like it, it's all been kind of predicated on that.
1: Dude, and that's, I mean, that's good advice for anybody. It doesn't matter if they're, they're <clears throat> yeah. an addict or not. yeah that's for everybody that wakes up and their alarm goes off and they want to hit the snooze because they don't want to go to the gym yeah. they don't want to get up and go run they don't want to do this they don't want to go to work or whatever if you just show up man like that's that's the hardest part is just showing up
0: yeah people see that and it's just giving yourself more opportunity to like do the right thing yeah, yeah i mean showing up to the gym you're gonna get in better shape show right. up to work your your boss is going to remember that you're the guy that shows up. Right. Um, whatever it is, you know, showing yeah, up for the bills. yeah, showing up for the kids' baseball game. I didn't have that, and I know how big like my my dad or whoever not showing up. I see what that did as far as my lasting impression. Um, so once again, in his case, had he just shown up, you know, yeah, we might be in a different place, it,
1: you know. Dude, basketball was the biggest thing in the world to me growing up. As a kid in grade school, high school, and my 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 father had never, never obviously he was in another state and stuff like that, but he never made the the travel to see me play for a game, and so it was like everything. I'd go up and I'd visit him and I'd tell him all about it, but it like meant nothing because he never saw me play. You know what I mean? And I could say to a degree like I'm over it, but it's still there's still a piece of me that little hurt little kid. It's like motherfucking yeah. never even saw me, I, see I had me play a game.
0: One very specific instance, I, I was so hype about it. So. I was probably like eight just doing the typical like Dizzy Dean or little league baseball stuff. Um, My dad made like a concerted effort to take me to the batting cages. They were like 30 minutes away in the next town. Um, And and so we just got down on some batting practice. He got me a new bat. um, And then I had a game coming up like two days later. And I, I would like to think because of the batting practice, like I get like, you know two triples and like an inside the park home run i mean we're eight so whatever right. but that was a thing um only to find out like i was so hyped like hell yeah dad like we we got this done look right. what i did only to find out after that he like got called into work couldn't come and it's like well fuck me you know right. um but there, there's plenty of those like little moments um but for sure
1: it is with. So, what would your advice be to somebody that's listening to this today? They've heard your story, it's hitting them in all the right places. What, what, what's your, what's your best advice for them?
0: Um, it, it's tough. So, the easy advice is like, man, if you're struggling, ask for help. Uh, there's a reason you hear that as advice, but like that's the only way it's going to get addressed. Mm. But at the same time, that comes along with like the help's not as valuable if you don't want it. Right. Um, that's typically how it works. You gotta be wanting the help, not just asking for it. Cause like, you think that's what you're supposed to do. But yeah, like don't stray away from, uh, or stray away from, you know, having those like conversations of like, Hey, this is what's going on. Like, I need somebody to help me sort this out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think uh, getting like some form of like mentor in your life is important. Um, so yeah, like having somebody that you can, you can rely on. Um, cause I, we, we had a healthy absence of that, you know, um, outside of your friends who were just as spun off as you were yeah. growing up. Like, who did you like, who did I have to go to? Right. Um, nobody with any good ideas, um, yeah, so I I would just say like try to get some people around you, um, that have your best interests and in, like you getting well like at the forefront, but don't be don't be scared to ask for help. Right, would probably be like the best advice I could give.
1: Yeah, that's I've, I've said it before on other podcasts, but that that would be my my advice is is. Being careful about who you choose to surround yourself with. Like, yeah. to think you're gonna surround yourself around with a bunch of drug addicts or a bunch of people breaking the law, or a bunch of people just not living life the way you really want to live it, and you don't think you're gonna end up yeah. the same way. You're gonna
0: be the outlier in a group. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, my my stepdad, again, I've said it before. My stepdad, show me who your friends are, and I'll show you who you are. Yeah. And so, yeah. I always I always fancied myself as some leader, but all I know is every time I hung around people that did dope, I sure did dope. Yeah. So,
0: well, and and to like the next level of that, I was in the in the age old like, your mom asked you like, if all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off too? I'm like, no, nah, mom. I'm the one <laughs> choreographing the jump off the bridge. Right. Um, so yeah, like maybe maybe a better circle could have outweighed it, but at the same time, like uh, my friends were pretty split. Where it's like, you know, there's four probably from my immediate see them every day come to the house after school that are dead um, all from drug related stuff and then there's there's a couple that like are still around and doing well but yeah it just it's very clear based on what you just said like show me who your friends are and I'll show you who you are well it's not, it's not by accident that I'm sober and almost died and then four of those dudes are dead mm-hmm. um, so yeah like with the mentor stuff or like the friends you hang out with. Um, yeah, it's super important.
1: Who uh, who do you draw inspiration from? Whether that's someone you know personally, someone you see online, social media, who do you, wh- where do you go for inspiration? Who are those people?
0: Uh, you know, there's probably different like categories of inspiration, I guess. Um, The quickest way to get me into like, uh, get me in my feels and like harp on like my passion is like seeing the dude, uh, like Michael Block was this guy that uh, just a club pro that just competed in the PGA Championship recently. And like seeing someone like that, like complete underdog, like his day job is at a golf course. And he's like competing with these high level professionals at one of the biggest tournaments in the world. Like, I love that story because I think it it parallels like my stuff. Like obviously not to the same degree, but just like the dude that's not supposed to be there, um, that's getting a shot kind of, uh, I like that. Um, but just day-to-day stuff, um, you know, I'm maybe not necessarily like inspired personally, but it makes me feel hopeful for like the world at large uh, these dudes that are like coming to treatment, honestly, um, and like seeing that you know people are, are like capturing that lightning in a bottle mm-hmm. that I had, um, and like starting that because I mean I, I spoke about what a big thing that was for me to ask for help. Yeah. So I relate to that, and it, it shits hard. Um, so like I'm, I'm I'm happy. It it fills me up when I see that. Um, and that's why I do what I do, too. Um, and then, yeah, like, I mean, between you, Shaylin and, like, Corbin, and, like, our, like, close people around us that are, that, like, go through some shit and, you know, um, for the most part are are on the other side of it, like, building off of it. I, You know, it's never going to be LeBron James for me or, like, Jocko. Um, you know, j- that's not... Where my personal brand yeah. of inspiration comes from. So yeah, I mean, more of the the common person that's like really doing the stuff, yeah. you know, um, not for the gram, if right. you will. For sure, yeah.
1: All right, now we got some we got some fun questions ahead. First, oh boy. first one, you're walking out tonight for the heavyweight champion of the world, <clears throat> UFC. What is your what is your fight song?
0: So so we've talked about this a little bit and. I go back and forth, because um, you know me, I like to break it down, like, uh, you know, what's the circumstance, what's the fight, that kind of thing, but I think what I always come back to is, like, I'm a soldier, but Pac, it, it just, it's the hardest way you can come out. Right. Um, yeah, that, that's that got to be it for me. Right. I, I could give some better, like, secondary options and stuff, but it's it's that, for you sure. You can never, you're, you can never go the that right tupon. now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, um, what role would you say that fitness played (coughs) with your, your mental health and your recovery?
0: Man, it was big. So, you know, I, there is the mind body spirit approach to not just getting sober, but just like being well in life. Um, so I know that's real already, but, um, I think it gets overlooked when we're talking about like getting sober, but just like you. I mean, you had your experience with it. Same for me. Um, It's been huge for me uh, for a lot of different reasons. When I came into treatment, I had beaten my body up really bad. Uh, You know, I I had some stuff that I feared would be lasting even after I got sober long-term. Luckily, most of it's resolved itself. But, you know, I got all this like world-class like clinical therapy and dudes that you know, could quote the big book front and back. And like, I soaked all that up. But then, you know, when I when I get out of treatments, like I know all this great stuff about myself, about recovery, but I still have these open track marks on my arm. Like I still have heart palpitations from when I was bleeding from my eyeballs. Um, like I need to address this on the same- with the same intensity that I did the other stuff. Um, and and, you know it was good at doing that part of it for me but then it had the byproduct of like oh i'm still like i'm still a junkie up here so like i need to place this energy somewhere and there's no better thing i could have done than like okay i've never done a triathlon like let's see what that's about um i've never been a runner uh, you know but it seems like it'd be hard and it would kind of scratch that itch um so on so many different levels, it's it's been super impactful, and you know, it's a part of my day still.
1: So to give a little bit of context to this next question, um, Lance is probably the best golfer I've ever come in contact with. Um, I've seen a lot of them. I've been around golf a little bit. I don't I don't play myself, but I told this story earlier. I'll tell it again. But we were at a work event where we went to Top Golf, and I thought I had seen and seen some really good people swing clubs and I was sitting there talking to everybody and Lance came up to to hit and I, I turned around for a minute to say something to somebody. And when this dude swung the club, I have never heard a sound like this in my life. I've never heard the violence of the club hitting the ball like I had heard it. Um, and it's like one of those moments where you turn around and you realize like, Oh, like he's different. Like there's levels to this shit. And so, um, Lance, very good golfer. Um, so, if you had to... P- I already know your answer. I shouldn't even ask this question. But if you had to pick, yeah. you only can do one for the rest of your life. Okay. The gym or golf?
0: Um, yeah, it's it's golf. Gotta be golf? Yeah, it's gotta be. I knew that yeah. was an easy one. Yeah. Um, yeah, 100%. Yeah.
1: So, where did your... You know, not to go too deep in the weeds, but where did your golf stuff start? When did you first pick up a club <laughs> and then where did it go?
0: And so... It, so it's uh, equally like traumatic and like a thing that stayed with me so uh, when my mom got remarried uh, when I was I want to say seven uh, he was he was a golfer that was kind of his thing and so naturally like father figure you want to be a part of um, I kind of started riding around with him he I got a, a club um, and just said yeah, start hitting some balls uh, and so he it was a weird circumstance but it worked out like he got hurt at work and was unable to work so what he did he turned all that work time into taking me to play golf teaching me to play golf um and like the dad aspect was great like he was the one like we can talk shit about mom you know and it's just between the boys right um so that's where it started. Did um, you
1: already have like natural talent to golf? And then he just like polished I never, it? I
0: never touched a golf club. I was football, soccer, baseball, um, you know, just being a kid that yeah. was, you know, athletically gifted on some levels. And, and so it translated, but it was the thing that it was very difficult. Um, and like, I was like, you know, I can run faster than that kid. I can throw a baseball farther than that guy. Um. But I like this is just the golf course sitting in front of me, and I got to go do it well. So that intrigued me, and it's a solitary sport. There's Mm -hmm. nobody to blame. Like, if you're, um, you know, you get off the rails, and I like that, like taking on that personal aspect to it versus like a team or. Right. um, But yeah, I just kind of, I bear down on it, and I mean, got to a point where it's like 10 12 hours a day at the golf course uh which led me to like a fast track of did well in junior golf high school golf um you know got got scholarship offers and stuff at some point in there um my mom and him got divorced which was a big blow for me Mm -hmm. and it trickled into like he was the one that was taking me to tournaments he was the one to tell me to like your friends are your friends are fucking up like come to the golf course with me. Mm. So I do feel like that was a really critical exit by him at a time when things were bubbling yeah. on some different fronts because he would straight up like hey, those dudes are not where it's at. Um let's go to the golf course. Right. So obviously option B where like he's out of the picture and I do go with the friends who aren't where it's at. Yeah. Um that was how it played out. But, you know, I went to went to Ole Miss and, uh, you know, was attempting to just walk on up there. Uh, I got kicked out of school, like, the first semester up there. But even when I was going to meet the coach during my campus visit, I took a bunch of ecstasy before I went to meet <laughs> the coach. Like, like, that's where I was at with it, you know. Um, but, yeah, I, I played some mini-tour stuff done some Monday qualifiers on the PGA tour. Um, and, and my most current, uh, you know, I got into the sober thing and doing other stuff, life happens, but my most current goal with it is shooting for next year's U S open qualifier. Um, and in the meantime, obviously like brushing up on some stuff and like getting back to it. But I want to put that into the universe. Cause I say it all the time. I told Shaylin, like, that's kind of what I'm aiming at, uh, Corbin of course, but now it's, like, on record, so I'm held to it. Let's so the go. next episode, you will check in on how the U.S. Open qualifier Let's went. Let's go. Yeah.
1: You reminded me of a story, one a college visit I did. I was for basketball, and I go up there, and my one of my buddies went to the college. And so I was like, all right, I'm just going to spend the night in his dorm room, and then I'll go meet the coach the next in the morning. Yeah. And so, like, I'm so excited that I'm, like, going to basically sit down and talk with the coach, and they're right. going to watch my senior year and all that stuff. And so then I think it's a good idea to get obliterated drunk and snort coke all night, not I mean, sleep, you got to right? Yeah. And then, so I go looking crazy, I'm sure, to meet this coach. And uh, he just wants to like sit there and shoot the shit. And so he starts throwing me the ball, telling me to shoot. And so I'm shooting threes and I think I had bricked the first two. And he's <laughs> like, oh, I'd heard you were a shooter. And it just pissed me off that he thought I wasn't. Yeah. And so then I just like <clears> went <throat> on this run and then I was the biggest asshole ever because he had like pissed me off and basically yeah. pissed my only opportunity away. Yeah, just yeah. because he doubted me for a second right. when like I come in looking. You know who I am. Yeah, yeah hung <laughs> over and strung out on yeah. coke. Yeah. Um. So me and you vibe out on the hip hop shit all the time. Yeah. Want to ask you who is your top five alive? Alive. Um. I mean, I. Just, it could be your favorite, not who you feel's best, but who's okay. your top five? Okay. Alive. Favorite. Um, so I got I
0: got to put Jay in there. Um, he doesn't get the respect. I mean, he does kind of on like lists and stuff, but like people don't. You know, I I'm a huge Jay Z dude. Yeah. And like
1: next level catalog. Yeah,
0: for sure. Um, so you know he's on there. I won't do it in numbers. So I'll just do hypotheticals. Okay. Um,
1: Everybody puts their own twist on this question. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: so I mean. It's got to be, so him, I mean, Benny, even, you know, he's new, but like, you can't deny it.
1: Uh, If it's your favorite, it's your favorite.
0: So this, this probably hasn't been listed yet, but Big Crit, Mississippi Boy, right up the street. Like, he does not get the shine he deserves. Um, I mean, I guess you got to throw Noss in there, right? Like okay. that's that's up there. Um,
1: Are we really going to leave Freddie off this list?
0: So I don't know. He's like he's like. Is he the six man award, or is he on the actual list? I
1: thought I knew you.
0: Um, Who is this guy? Who I mean, Jesus. I think so. It's so hard. But yeah, yeah. Freddie. No, on don't
1: there. go with Freddie. You weren't going to go with Freddie. Don't well, go with so him Freddy, now. So Freddie.
0: So I was on the fence about like.
1: Now we're getting to the real part of the podcast. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 got to be, yeah, it's Freddie.
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: I feel good about that. All but, right. So. But Big Crit, like, you need to tell people he's on the list. He should be on your list. I've never heard you talk about him, but lyrically, like.
1: I mean, he's cool. I just don't hear much shit from him. I know. He's, When's the last time you put
0: something out? He's too good to make music. That's <laughs> it, it just wouldn't be fair for <laughs> anyone else. Good.
1: Yeah, yeah. All right i got a, i got a couple uh couple words for you. I just want you to tell me the first thing that comes to your mind oh boy all right, all right. loyalty necessary john Daly legend legend <laughs> brother I never see a clip of him that I don't love oh he's he's the greatest he's yeah. he's so anti everything he is if you went and
0: got a dude off like a construction site personality wise yeah. like that's and you give him sixty million dollars, like he's what happens. Right.
1: What's yeah. his What's his shit? Uh, cokes, and,
0: or isn't it? Yeah, he drinks like he'll drink like eighteen diet cokes and around the golf, um, like four packs of SIGs. But he was a big gambler. Like, yeah, he's. So if we go down the golf rabbit hole a little bit, um, he won uh, the PGA Championship. We were talking about. Um, he won that by being the ninth alternate. No one knew who this dude was. In the one through eighth alternates, it was like one guy's wife went into labor, one guy missed his plane from wherever, Uh, one guy stubbed his toe, whatever the deal is. Anyway, he was ninth on that list and all these things played out to where his ninth alternate space became the first alternate and he got in the tournament and he won. Uh, just being a complete nobody. So, like, the other guy I was telling you about, like, that's the inspiration. Right. Um, Tiger's the goat forever and always, but, like, that's the guy that I relate to. Right. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, he's a legend. Big text. Ooh. Genesis? Like, that's, for me, that's kind of, like, where... Not necessarily like where everything started, but with you and I, like where it was like it became more of, you know, what our friendship is. Like a lot of, uh, I mean, listening to Nickelback because the night shift person had like (laughs) left on the radio, right? Or they hadn't restarted the playlist, so it's deathly quiet. Um, But yeah, I think that's that's where we got to know each other, but also where on the fitness level, like. We played around with a lot of stuff and like, uh, you know, crafted a lot of stuff in that realm too. Um, and yeah, I mean, it just doubled down on like the standard we
1: set with each other. Dude, shout out, shout out to Big techs. It's yeah. The, yeah. It's, you know, House of Gaines and and, and uh, Big Tex <laughs> are definitely the. I mean, it's not even in Austin, but to me, Big techs is like the mecca in Austin. And for us to go in there and spend. Countless hours each each morning and stuff like that. The amount of stuff that we learned and taught each other and, and stuff like that, and really like cut our teeth in the gym. Um, you know, I the people I work with every day in, in training and stuff like that. I tell them like, there's identify a couple people. You know, whether it's social media or YouTube, whatever it is, that that you know are educated and learn from them. But there's there's so much that could be said for for going in there and figuring it out yourself. Yeah, And so I think about like when we started to where we ended up doing an exercise and it's like as the amount that we learned in there has just been invaluable.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's... Uh,
1: and the the coolest, some of the coolest people ever. Yeah,
0: for sure. Uh, and I mean, I haven't, uh, we've tried at different places since like you moved down south in Austin, now I'm in Houston. Um, I haven't been anywhere that like matched, for lack of a better word, the vibes. The vibes. Like, Big vibe place.
1: I need need some character in my gym. I want ripped seats, rusty fucking weights. Yeah.
0: Um, Nah, shout out big techs for sure.
1: Um, Family.
0: Complicated,
1: probably. Right. Joe Biden. (sighs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Hopefully my word can be memory. Like, uh, a distant one to come. Yeah.
1: Right. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Yeah, yeah. But How do you feel about Donald Trump?
0: Man, I'm not, like, I don't feel good about any of them right. in general. Right, right, right. right. But, <laughs> I mean. He's fucking funny, though. Oh, yeah, he's, we at least get the entertainment. Yeah. Um,
1: It's widely known that you you have some of the, worst taste when it comes to shows and movies oh wow um i think that's a fair assessment <laughs> you know, i think widely known in the Livingston um, household anybody that says what it's not house of dragons what is it game of thrones yeah anybody that says game of thrones is not right. a good show is just yeah,
0: that that was one of the worst like <laughs> i don't know conspiracies perpetrated on the public at large that like they just told you the show was good Um, everybody subtly just to themselves like, man, this show's not good, but everyone says it is, so I want to be a part of that. It's just not good.
1: It's it's such a wild statement.
0: But, yeah, I'll I'll get back to you on. Maybe (laughs) some new shows will come back next time. What would you
1: say is your top three favorite movies of all time? (sighs) Uh, I mean, Departed, up there. Uh, Us Irish folk don't have many gangster films, so we got to cling to that one. Yeah,
0: yeah. While like a casino is kind of old and played out, like it it is like the standard for mm-hmm. that type of movie. The town, they they like I said, they're all. The, it's very easy to peg my shit when it comes to uh, to movies.
1: So what uh, <laughs> nowadays? What are you working on? What are you up to? Who are you um, affiliated with, Lance?
0: I am affiliated with the Last Resort Recovery Center, um, which happens to be uh, the place I got sober. So outside of, you know, I've only been working there in an official capacity for the past year. So, I mean, outside of that, I've been, since the day I left treatment, like, I'm coming back, like, that's my place, that's that's home. Um, you know, I work in admissions there, so I'm fielding the calls of the dude that's ready to go to treatment more often than not it's the dude that's not ready to go to treatment. Um, and having those conversations, some of which we've had here, of uh, saying the things I wish somebody had said to me mm-hmm. a long time before I came to that realization on my, my own. Uh, yeah. So like, if anyone's going through it, um, either them or their parents are going to be calling me and I'm going to do whatever I can to eliminate all barriers for them to get to treatment. Um, and it it's easy to do when it's a place like last resort, and um I know what kind of good work they do, and I feel good about like come to us like we can help you yeah um so yeah man i uh I, you know there's there's definitely some less than genuine or um in it for the right reasons type of people in, in the the industry that is like the recovery industry um we've had experience working with uh some of that uh luckily we've moved on to being able to actually help people in in a good capacity um but yeah i mean i i put my name and my life behind the last resort as far as uh the help the help that they offered me and the help that they offer people every single day so um if anybody is struggling Definitely look up the Last Resort Recovery Center. We're just outside of Austin. Um, don't be afraid to to ask for help. Right, um, and call me when you when you're ready to.
1: Yeah. So one thing we like to do on the show to to wrap up is uh, this podcast is called the I Am Redemption Podcast. That's not saying I am redemption, but that's that's everybody like all inclusive. You've been through the shit and you came out on the other side. You are redemption. So who is Lance? I
0: am. I am unique, I am strong, I am disciplined, and I am a person in
1: recovery, yeah. And hard-headed as a motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> alright brother, thank you man.